0: yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show has a sponsor. It is Cheshire Impact. Ah, That sounds familiar. On a mission to help you maximize your use of Pardot, marketing automation, and CRM, Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. So my guest for today, I'm very excited to introduce you. We're going to be talking about Advanced reporting, integrating data. He is a data integration, analytics, activation. He's a leader in this. He's also the principal and founder at Refine Path, advanced reporting wizard, family man, and a great guy. Tom Quinn, how are you, sir?
1: I'm well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. Absolutely. I know we've, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we try to coordinate and finally, finally we get to actually do this, you know, so I'm stoked. Yeah, me too. So the theme for this particular, this month, you know, it's been around that roadmap. We've been working with people to try to really maximize their use of marketing automation. And so each month has been a different theme, getting to know your buyer. We've done things like building out nurture campaigns and aligning with sales. Now we're getting to the point where we're really talking about some of the, the ways you can really do some advanced analytics and also really integrate all that data back in and really make the most of it, right? Not just the kid stuff, but really... You know take that down the rabbit hole so I thought what a perfect time to have you on here I know you've been listening for a while and we just sort of connected up so that that's great so what I want to do here is what we do is we pass you this this is Thor's hammer I just want to pass you this receive the hammer yes now smash a myth what kind of bogus strategies have you been seeing out there you know around customers around data reporting what kind just start smashing and we're gonna just litter the, the
1: ground with bad strategy yeah, well, thanks for the hammer. Uh, yes, I mean, I'm a fan of the show. Uh, you know, the, I think the biggest thing that I see out there is that a lot of firms believe that they're customer centric, but they're really not. Mm. And uh, I think that's an area that a lot of companies can improve.
0: So, so customer, so they just say it. So it's almost like, yeah, I'm customer centric, or yeah, I eat healthy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, I just had Wendy's or something, right? Well, it's like, I
1: think the specifics is that as individuals, they're customer centric. But to right. be customer-centric in a multi-touch world, you need to integrate data and you need to have your teams integrated and working together in a synchronized manner. And, and again, if you're doing things with siloed data and siloed teams, I think you have a, some real limitations mm-hmm. in terms of how customer-centric you can be.
0: Interesting. I'm just grabbing a, a piece of paper here. Mm-hmm. Got to take some notes on this one. <laughs> So it's not enough to just say you're customer centric. It sounds like the silos get in the way. Is that is that really well, what's happening?
1: Again, I, I think many times you may be customer centric within your silo, but if another silo is customer centric and they're not connected, your cu- the the ultimate customer is getting a disjointed experience.
0: Interesting. I guess I, that's it. So it's it. By the way, I say interesting a lot. I'm working on it. It's a bad habit. <laughs> There's just a lot of interesting things. I also say the word weird a lot. like, oh, that's weird. (laughs) Everything apparently is weird. So you could be customer-centric, and we'll have to dive into what that even means. But let's say you are really taking strides in that direction. If the people that are also in that customer journey aren't also really thinking about the customer first, then they're going to experience something wacky, even if you've tried, and even if your part's good, It's like no man is an island.
1: Exactly. I mean, again, I think that many times different touch points are being customer centric on their own, but they're each collecting data and not sharing it with each other. And ultimately the customer can get frustrated when they're getting a disjointed experience.
0: Collecting data and not sharing it with each other. So it'd be like, you know, you keep your information in Pardot, marketing automation. You're not letting sales know.
1: Oh, that, that's one way. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, when you think about all the touch points that customers have, whether it's the contact center, whether it's email, whether it's digital media, uh, there's a lot of different touch points. Uh, it could be retail, uh, depending on the vertical you're in. And to the customer, they just want a great experience. And the the better that you're able to integrate data and the better your teams are able to work together, the the better and more customer centric the the experience is going to be and and then hopefully that leads to better business results
0: interesting so it's not enough just to have the team work together but the data has to come together too yeah so we can have the touchy-feely meeting and by, by the way, we love doing this at chesh right we'll we'll host one where we map out process with sales and marketing and what we do is we bring pizza and beer because marketing will show up just because they want to improve things and sales is like i don't got time for this i gotta close <laughs> deals about this beer and pizza? All right. Let's let do it. See what, let me see what you're talking about here. That, um, that, so we'll that's line been the process. The years. Yeah, right. Uh, we'll line the process, but it's a, it's a great reminder. You know, it's like this, this show, also last show, you think you're going to talk about reporting, you think you're going to talk about analytics, but really, it, the conversation, when you boil it down, all reverts back to data. You know, that's it's very interesting. It's almost been this like trend. I saw that at Dreamforce, uh last conversation, even this conversation, it the 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 data can be siloed just like our processes can
1: be siloed. That's right. That's right. And again, the data's are and, and there's reasons. It comes from different platforms, it comes in different formats, there's structured data, there's unstructured data. And so it's not easy. Uh however, again, increasingly there's tools out there that enable us to bring the data together and engage our customers more meaningfully.
0: Right, mm-hmm. interesting. Have you seen any really egregious versions of that where people were doing some great things on their own and then they, they just never well, talked?
1: Well, I mean, think about things as simple as like retargeting, right? Yeah. So someone goes to your site and basically all you know is they were just at your site, so you send them a retargeting message that may mean buy now, right? Sure. But they're not integrating other pieces of data that may say, well, this is an existing customer that did these things or they just called us and did these things. Also, that data that says, oh, let's retarget this person isn't really being shared beyond your advertising team, right, or, mm. or the cookie data. And so, again, the more you're able to connect the dots, if you will, the better you have an understanding of uh, is this customer ready to buy or they, should they be nurtured? Is an existing customer that's just looking for customer service and help? And, you know, the better we help them, the happier they're going to be and more likely to refer us to some to a friend or or remain a loyal customer for, for a long time. So, again, I think the better we're able to integrate data, the better we're able to understand the needs and, and engage in, a, in, the, in the best way possible.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I once worked with a group that prior to working with us, one of the biggest problems they had was everything was silent, even on the sales side. And they were, they were operating off of leads in Salesforce. And you know, from a high level, a lead is someone that comes in, you're not very familiar, it's like you're dating. But once you have opportunities and you're closing deals, it turns into a contact, and an account, right? And yeah. so, but they never did that. They, they, they wanted to force leads to come in. So what would happen is the same person could be a lead like four, or five, or 12 times. Yeah. And they had this incident where someone just bought a million dollars worth of uh, lab equipment and the next day, it's kind. Of, it's like it's just almost like Hollywood. The next day, they got two phone calls from two sales reps at that same company yeah. selling two other different things that company had to sell. Yeah, and neither one of them knew that this company had just spent a million dollars. Like great customer, no one's aware. And so you're cold calling him like like he's a nobody, like he's a cold lead, uh, instead of being like, oh, thank you so much, you know, and. Uh, or, or just leave him alone. He just bought something, you know, either way.
1: No, exactly. that's exactly right. And I think there's many times these days where you're a prospect and then you become a customer, yet you're still getting all the prospecting buy now messages when you should be, you know, you should be engaging in a more meaningful way about, hey, how to use our product properly and, and so forth. And so, again, sharing data to understand who, you know, who's where is this person in their journey? I think the other element is that a lot of marketers Uh, you know, with the best of intentions, treat all customers the same. And I think when you integrate a lot of data, you start realizing that even amongst your customer base, there's, there's many different needs and segments. And, and again, the better you're able to engage, you know, your best customers against their specific needs, you know, the the greater the likelihood that you're going to have a customer for life and that they're going to refer you to, uh, to their friends. And, and, uh, and that's a great way to build your business.
0: For sure. You know, I wondered about that word you brought up at the very beginning too. Customer centric, it 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 almost sounds too good, like like a word you could use in like a marketing piece. Yeah. You know, do you see? I guess really that the the myth you smash. And by the way, it's in pieces scattered about the floor here. Um, If people are just saying this word, I mean, do we really know what it means? Like, what does it mean to you? Well, in in the right. Definition. Either. Well,
1: I would almost say no. That's 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 an excellent question. I mean, to me, there's, I, I try to think of there's business needs, meaning, hey, we need this much sales, and we have this kind of cost per acquisition, and so we know our goals. But the customer, when they're coming to your site, they could be coming for any number. Let's say they're coming to a website, or maybe attending an event, or something. Sure. What is it they're looking for? Um, it may be yeah. like I said, you can say, let's say you have a, a product that has a three month purchase cycle, right? Yeah. Are they At the very beginning of it and they're just collecting data to understand you know what they're maybe they don't even know what their solution is so they're looking for an answer to a problem or maybe they're ready to buy or maybe they're an existing customer who's trying to use your product better right and i think what you really want to do is get in the head of what is it that they're looking for and how can we you know engage them more meaningfully because right the thing you learn in b2b sales is when you're in you know, when you're with someone in person, if they're not ready to buy, (laughs) you shouldn't be making an offer, right? You want to, you want to engage them in the proper way. And then hopefully when they're ready to buy, you're, you're the trusted partner they want to work with. Right. Well, I think the same thing in digital channels. I think what you want to do is not try to force a sale when someone's not ready to buy, uh, because that can poison the opportunity, not just for the near term, but actually their impression of your organization may be, not what you want it to be in the long run, because you're constantly trying to sell when that's not their objective is.
0: Right. don't. Yeah, Yeah, I like it. Don't poison that all the future sales you're about to have by trying to stick it in there with that, that quick, you know, you're not selling mattresses, right? Well,
1: exactly. Well, I'll give you an example. I was recently at a, 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 it was a medical conference and there was a guy who was looking at buying an expensive piece of uh, medical uh, machinery, a big purchase. And they were doing research. And and again, that's similar to a lot of B2B purchase journeys. And he went to a a website of someone that he was, you know, recommended to check out. And he thought it was great. And these guys were absolutely in his consideration set. But within the next 48 hours, he was inundated with sort of like direct response type of messaging. Mm. that, quite honestly, they were, I thought highly of them when I left the site. But shortly thereafter, they kind of left my consideration set. And so again, if you're not in the direct response business, don't engage your customers, you know, purely like direct response. So, so again, What do you mean to
0: by direct response, response? Too are we talking like like snail mail or selling well, well, for, for now, dollars? Right? If oh, you know, like there's some yeah. purchases
1: where someone's in the market and they're going to buy, you know, within within you know <laughs> within one step, if you will. Um, but there's other sure. longer term purchases, and again, you know, working you know with dot and, and Salesforce, you, you know, you understand those B2B. Sure. Customers. Again, the more you know who is that customer, are they within a segment, do they have specific needs, and where are they in the journey? So I almost try to think of a matrix of what, you know, what type of customer, where are they in the journey based on the, based on the signals we're picking up, how do we engage them the most meaningful way?
0: Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Direct. Don't don't confuse yourself with a direct response product. You know, I once was uh, in a consideration phase for a software product, not too pricey, but not something I'm just going to throw the Amex down on, right? It's it's yeah. it's like very much a considered sale, very B two B and i got this email campaign saying make it by the way at this at this particular juncture i was not the decision maker right yep. i guess even right now i'm not i i've got people that are smarter than me i hey <laughs> hey is this the right thing you know let's let's talk about the details but even even then i was definitely not the, the decision maker and i got an email as like the recommender hey if you can close this deal within this week we'll send you an ipad yeah i like ipads i got like one of those minis they're really cool but you know what i would like one uh but it's not like I can accelerate this sale that just started yeah. <laughs> three months late. You know, I can't scream, you know, cram three months into about one week. And, you know, I'm going to burn some of my political, you know, power or my, you know, the, all, all that sort of, you know, cash that I've got, you know, in the company just to try to push this thing through it, it instantly. I knew this is not something I'm even going to consider doing. And I was kind of like taken, taken aback, kind of like the people you're describing where, your, your friend got inundated with all these direct response like buy now buy now it's like no yeah. we just started exactly and I, like, and I like what you said earlier too you said you want to be there you want to be their trusted advisor you know partner in that
1: decision absolutely and and the other element about being customer centric i think is with all these great tools we have is just use them to treat your your existing customers better because again I, i've been in business for a few years and where i found the most success is where your clients are so thrilled with the, the experience they have with a particular company, they're going to tell their friends and word of mouth really happens and so forth. And a lot of times we have these great tools around us, but they're used predominantly for selling uh, (laughs) directly and so forth. And again, the more we use them for things like, Oh, you have a problem. Here's, you know, customer service, or here's, you know, a way to, you know, thrill them when there's no sale attached to it. And having, having happy customers, will help your business in the long run. So I think all these great tools and strategies that we have, you know, can really be pressed by, oh, we need to hit this quarter. <laughs> yeah, we'll do those things, but let's do these other things as well. It's going to build our pipeline in a, in a good way.
0: Right. You know, I was just watching a rerun of the office last <laughs> night and Michael Scott got these gigantic gift baskets <laughs> for some customers and he was just great, dropping yeah. them off and they're like, but we're with office Depot. He's like, yeah, I know. No big deal. Want to give you this thing? There's chocolate <laughs> turtles in there, um, but you know, I wonder. Sometimes we get in the mode where, you know, do you see this a lot? Where people think that like the more they talk, the more it's going to work. And you know, is that another myth you want to smash? Or
1: well, you know what? I mean, prior to digital, you know, I've I've worked in B two B sales and marketing, and
0: yeah, you know,
1: when we think about B two B selling. Um, You know, there's lots of stages in terms of the sale. But again, what I found was that the more, the better we listened as a team, the more success we had, right? And so, what I found when we think about the different stages of B2B selling, that upfront qualifying and doing a really solid needs assessment really helped our business. And, and, in doing that, you, you know, you do a lot of research prior to a meeting. Sure. You really need to ask great questions. You know, there's open-ended questions and then there's confirming questions. But we felt that if we really understood our customers' needs better than anyone else they were engaged with, we almost had a competitive advantage to earn their trust and win their business. Right. And I think that carries over to a lot of digital stuff today. But instead of asking questions, a lot of it has to do with, The connecting of different data sources to understand the customer's needs. So, right. Big component of listening better.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good, we could even break that down. And listening in the traditional sense, sales on the phone call, but it also could be marketing. Early in January, we talked about buyer personas, and you don't pull these out of your butt. (laughs) They come from calling, asking a question, and listening, asking a follow on question, listening. But to your point, there's that third, I'm going to write these down. So, like, Sales can be listening, um, marketing can be listening, but your your data too you 've g- got apps listening. Pardot knows everything you're doing. It knows you clicked on that link, it know you lingered on that website, it know you read that doc I sent you, it know you yeah. registered but did not attend that webinar I had yesterday or two days That's ago. so it knows all these things, so it's listening, but you've got to be aware, so bring that data into the fold, you know be able to show sales hey. We're listening you know, in a digital sense to all the activity. Let's make sure we customize that journey for them, too.
1: That's right. I mean, again, in listening like in a responsible that. way, we don't want to be, you know, the, again, you get into creepiness. and Like things.
0: CIA creepiness, yeah.
1: <laughs> but I do think, again, it, it's sort of like, let's say you and I and two other folks were engaged with a customer and we all had four separate conversations. If we got together and compared notes to really understand what was important to them and maximum you know give them the best you know experience and not waste their time we're going to perform better together and i think that's the way you need to think is let's listen good within you know within each touch point but that let's then let's connect them in a way that enables us to just provide better service than anyone else would
0: totally you know I, that just you know. happened to me a dream where i met someone i was introduced to someone um who we should definitely work with in the future and he said, hey you need to really work with these people so i met this person really cool, right? She was awesome. I'm like, oh, this person's cool. Apparently, my team had also met her. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's some other details, right? So to your yeah. point, what we don't want to do is just all start reaching out because then even if we're trying to be helpful, it can feel like a direct response. It can feel like we're trying to say bye now. We're just all trying to help out, but too many yeah. people trying to help out at the same time. You, get, you know, too many names you're trying to learn. It's just no. too much. So have that internal conversation. It makes sense. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. And, and again, I would just say, when you think about engaging a customer, if you know, hey, here's the vertical they're in and here's the platform that I know they're using today and here's what I know their business objectives are. Let's say, if you have those three pieces of information, your ability to say, okay, I know their vertical, I know their business objective, I know what platform they have on. You know what? That gives me a direction of what's the best case study for us to share. So we don't want to share a generic case study. We want to share something that's relevant for them. And again, these days when there's so many different Types of touch points. It's how do we connect the right dots so that we're again sharing the right information and giving them the best service?
0: Yeah, that's a cool theme, man. I'm, I, I got these notes. I don't know if people know. Maybe I'll, one of these days I'll scan these things, but I take, <laughs> I take copious notes here because I'm learning. If people oh. may think, oh, you're just guiding us alone. No, no, I'm learning too. So, but listening, you know, I, I wrote the three parts of that. Uh, it reminded me we once were interviewing a, like a job kit, job candidate. And I don't even remember the person's name, male, female, whatnot. But I just remember a particular conversation we had. We're interviewing them to really be that sort of trusted advisor with our clients. And on the interview, all they did was talk, you know, and it's like, huh, we want you to be the one listening to clients. We need to really listen to them and see what their pain points are and really understand their situation so we can advise them. If you're talking the whole time, how do we get any, yeah, like, I think we're starting off wrong here. So, you know, well, maybe, no,
1: you're exactly right. I mean, you know? I also have a paranoid feeling of, boy, I don't know enough. And what, how can I learn more about yeah. you know, what they're looking for? And never almost being satisfied that you know enough. Um, because again, our clients and customers have big challenges and big problems. And when you look under the hood, they're complex. And the more you understand about it, the better of chance we have of, of not just winning their business, but actually engaging them in, a, in you know, helping them be successful. And, uh, so listening is, uh, again, you can't do it enough.
0: Interesting. Oh, I said it again. I need a jar with, uh, like I put money into it every time and I'll just donate that to uh, maybe to like the listeners, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Follows on Twitter. You might get the interesting jar donation. Uh, yeah. but that, that is critical. What you've said, um, so important to be listening. So important to be coordinating the listening internally. Now, I, I want to kind of bring you to there's an area that I, I really am curious to learn from you about sure. and we were talking earlier and you know we're getting into the idea of the omni-channel looking at different places bringing things together and you introduced the idea of that that you know, the customer data platform and so I live in this world of marketing automation and CRM customer relationship management yes. platform so you know maybe just break it down Barney style that means you know Barney like a dumb as rocks you know yeah. on, the, on the Flintstones like Barney style what is it you know CDP I guess really is no, what they call it.
1: Absolutely so you know technology has been evolving and you know when you look at the the MarTech you know it was like a 1,000 now it's yeah. like 7,000 and it's really tough to keep up with everything but I I think that one evolution in the last couple of years has been the introduction of the customer data platform and mm. what that does is basically three things one it's it's marketer controlled, not necessarily IT controlled. So they're giving you, uh, you know, a platform that marketers can use. Second is it integrates different data sources to create a persistent unified customer database. And the third part is it's accessible to other systems, which really gets into activation, right? So, and and a good way to think about is again, CRM systems are really platform, you know, they're powerful platforms, that were built to, you know, to create great customer profiles. But when they were created, they weren't necessarily created to ingest all the types of data that we have today. Sure. Or were they really built to activate things in real time? And so CDPs really, and, and again, another area aside from the CRM systems that they sometimes get confused with are data management platforms, which integrate a lot of data, but are predominantly cookie data for advertising. What a CDP does, it may integrate, you know, the CRM system and the DMP and it's bringing all of those things together so that they're working well. And then the main thing to think about is that they're not necessarily competing with each other. It's almost like here's something that makes each of them work better together. So let's say you have a great CRM system and you're working with Perdot and then you have a DMP over here. This is sort of like glue that brings them together and lets them share data so that they're able to engage customers. So you're able to learn more about your customers and engage them in more meaningful ways. Interesting,
0: so integrate that that data. What, what was DMP you mentioned?
1: Uh, data management platforms. And what they'll do is they're, they're typically used in um, for online advertising. So they're integrating uh. different databases uh, using third-party cookies. And they're great for things, like for example, a DMP is great if you're looking for a look-alike in, um, customers so they'll they'll look at cookies and say here's our here's our customers here's our targets oh here's some customers that we should be thinking about and that's you know it's a great platform but a cdp is basically bringing all this data together to to understand your customers better and be able to engage with them across platforms in meaningful ways
0: interesting so you you're actually I mean, in the name, customer data platform. It's all about bringing the data together. Interesting. Yes, um, and,
1: I, and I think an important element too is what you see with them is it's really getting deep profile data of your existing customers as well. So a lot of way the way these things are used, if you're an existing customer, the ability to have deep profiles that's bringing all of these different data sources together. It 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 it. it Opens up some new opportunities to engage customers, but I would want to emphasize it's these aren't replacements of the existing existing platforms that you have. Right. In many ways, it's a way of helping them engage. You know, work to better together and 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 engage your customers. In yeah.
0: More connect more. that way. Huh. Exactly. So we're not replace. I mean, CRM really started just like let's sell deals. Let's keep track. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're still in Excel, yes. stop listening. I don't want you <laughs> go away. No, convert, get a CRM, yeah. get a CRM. Yeah. Uh, so that's really managing that, that sales process and flow. I will say though, like CRMs, I mean, tend to try to say that they're the center hub of the hub and spoke, but we're saying that, um, yeah, you, you get disconnected?
1: I did for a second. Oh, Sorry. no
0: worries. Uh, so, we're, so CRM sometimes says that they're the middle so are we saying that the CDP, the customer data platform, can be the middle?
1: Well, I think, you know, I want to be very careful about the middle because these platforms can kind of compete. I think the customer mm-hmm. should really be the middle, right? Like, and the platforms That's need a good to other. together. Yeah. I think the way I would recommend a customer to do is say, well, who's your customer? What are their needs? How do we listen to them? And how do yeah. we engage with them? And then how do you put together the right marketing stack to do those things, right? And I would say that what a CDP does well is it may, so for example, your CRM platform could be, let's say you call it the middle, but you now have more data that you can tie together, right? Um, right. As well as how can you, like again, when I use the term activate, um, you know, these days, like think about going to Amazon. You go to Amazon, you start taking activities, and in almost real time, they're saying, oh, here's something else you may wanna buy. Right. So these are platforms that are sort of made to be able to do that. And, and I think the other area is CRM you know, was built in the early days, predominantly for B2B. And of course it's evolved to B2C as well. But these are platforms that, you know, I think are probably used more heavily originally in B2C. Um, But I do think there's some forward thinking B2B companies that are Ah. engaging them. And, and again, I would almost think about, when you think about CRM platforms, they're pretty much the personally identifiable information, but you don't really necessarily have cookie data in it. Right. Right. You may you may say, "Oh, we can we can integrate cookie data, which will make it richer than you would have had before." Right. And so that's so. I guess the main thing is if let's say you have a great CRM system, you say, "Hey, this is fantastic. I love it." Yep. But how how can we listen better? How can we know more about our customers' needs? And you may now be able to tie more data together so that you have a a greater profile. So right. You know, I, I think the important thing for a cust- for the absolute customers to think about is not do I buy this platform or this platform? Are they competing with one another? And sometimes, you know, the sales teams may be competing with each other, but I think they've got to be thinking, how do I listen to my customers? What's the best way to engage with my customers? Now, how do I build the right stack? And how right. do I have these these tools work together? So instead of saying, oh, I have this tool and this tool, you put them together and, you know, you have a better you have a better way of engaging.
0: Yeah. So... It seems like um, like ParDot has a cookie now, I, and I, but the only way to get you cookied is to either have you click on a ParDot email, or to have you fill out a form. But yep. prior to all that activity, then you know it could be the anonymous retargeting. It could be some account-based marketing, specific IP targeting. It could be a lot of that type of targeting. Yeah. To your point, we don't necessarily know who you are just yet, but there may be a bunch of different cookie data's out there that you might want to try to combine Yeah. and, and figure out, how, maybe even get some better ROI on some of that earlier transition that you don't have. Yeah. Uh, and all these data, other data sources. And if, and if they don't natively integrate with your CRM platform, then you start, you may may want to look into this tool. Question exactly. though, are there any flags that you would look for when you're working with people where it's like a no brainer they should get this or any kind of example where no, that's, that's, that's,
1: that, first of all, I think that's an excellent question. I, I think, I mean, before they say what they get, I mean, I do think you should really understand, you know, what's your customer's journey today? How do they engage with you? How do they research and so forth? And what's it likely to be tomorrow? And based on that, let's say you didn't have any technology. Yeah. You know, how should, how should you engage with them? What's the ideal right. way to engage? And then actually map out some use cases, right? Sure. And then when you said, boy, this is what I'd want to do, I think it's, okay, so how do we now put that together? And you may say, you know what? We need product. Right. It. Perfect. And we need Cheshire to help us with this. Yay. But you may say, hey, but I need to do this piece too. I mean, I do think, you know, when you look at the Martech 7000, there's usually not one tool and say, okay, here's the one thing that solves everything. Right. You typically have to say, how do I bring these four or five tools together and, and make them work so that we're engaging our customers in, in a better way? And, and again, I, I just think that these CDPs have been built to integrate different types of data sources than some of the other platforms, as well as right. and activate uh, these platforms in, in meaningful ways.
0: It's a good point because you know, something like Salesforce is going to need either a unique ID or it's gonna need an email address, same thing with Pardot, or you're gonna have to use some fuzzy logic to try to figure out who's who, but you need that kind of like that anchor for the data.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So you're saying, and, and
1: again and again, I think for most customers, I will say to say when should you, you know, buy something? That's up to a customer, right? And I will also say my business is um, or my practice, I'm vendor neutral. I have, no, right. I have no, If someone doesn't buy a CDP, that's fine. If they, so I, I, I have no horse in the game that way. But I think that if you really are thinking about advanced omni-channel personalization, meaning, hey, I want to engage customers the proper way, whether they're at my website, email, speaking to us, call, contact center, as well as if they're interested in cross-channel analytics and reporting. Yeah. I think if they're interested in either of those two subjects, they should research if a CDP is right for them. Uh, and again, then, then they'll be able to decide what, you know, what they should do. But, but if you're interested in those two subjects and you don't know what a CDP is, that's where I would just say, you should, you should hopefully do some homework because there's, you know, there could be some good solutions that you're missing out on.
0: What are some good ones?
1: Well, you know, think about...
0: I get your neutral. Is, is yeah, it kind no, no, of no, place? Or- I hate,
1: well, the one thing is, is I, I hate mentioning because one of the, ch- the challenges <laughs> out there, there's probably about close to 50 companies that that call themselves uh, CDPs today, and I think a, a good place to go. There's a website called uh, CDPInstitute.org that'll have a large number that can, that can be looked at. But there's there's a number of you know, I, I hate saying it because I know I'm going to leave someone out, but you know there's great you know some of the good ones. There's Mparticle, there's Lytics, there's uh, Agile One, there's you know there's there's a number of of good platforms. Interesting and And I think it's really important to understand, you know, which is the right one for our business. Because let's say you're, you know, a financial institution uh, versus a, uh, you know, versus a pharmaceutical company versus a retailer versus a B2B company. You know, there may be a a CDP that's, that's, you know, better for you than others. So one question people ask me is, you know, what's the best CDP? And and a lot of times (laughs) it really depends on, you know, what your business is. Right. Uh, and, and again, I, I think there's there's a number of reputable ones. Um, so some
0: focus on like finance, some are probably better for manufacturing or for retail.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, and, and I'll give you an example. Like, let's say, you know, when you think about integrating data, like we, it said, like it's a simple thing. It's really hard. So if yeah. I think about my customer experience as a, in financial services, like, you know, I do things online, but I also go to, you know, to, you know, automatic teller, right. Or if I'm, if I'm traveling through an airport, there's different connections. And so again, I I think there's lots of different types of data that can be brought into these things. And the, what you want to do is make sure you have the right pipes for your business. Right. And so again, if you're, you know, depending on the vertical you're in, depending on your business objectives, I think there are certain CDPs, uh, that, that are probably better designed to meet your needs.
0: You know, this is cool because one of the things you said earlier is that it's very heavy in the B2C side, which is probably why my head doesn't already know about all this. Yeah. And I'm actively learning in front of people live on YouTube. Um, so start, but a lot of these things start, a lot of these developments start in the B2C side. And then to your point, they, you know, some of the B2B companies that want an edge start bringing them over.
1: Oh, no, the, it's some B2, like I would say, like when you think about account-based marketing, yeah. and again, I've, I've been in, you know, since 2000, I've been involved in online media and so forth. And, and I think you're, you're exactly right there, is that when I think about some of the account-based marketing stuff, and there's great companies doing great things, I think it's still early days. And sure. I think what we're going to, my prediction, I could be wrong, but I think there's some companies that have been forward-thinking in B2B and have brought in CDPs, and their account-based marketing, I think, is moving even to another stage because they're connecting more data. And when I think about B2B sales, these are complex sales, right? There's lots of players. There's lots of, there's lots of, you know, details in a deal. And the better you connect those dots, the better you can activate. And so I do think in B2B, uh, especially, you know, large complex deals, I think that we're going to see customer data platforms being used more and more. And I do know a few companies that have been using them with, with really good success, um,
0: yeah. Do you have any so, good uh, like B two B stories? You know, B two B. Well, now, you know, there's examples? a few case
1: studies out there, and again, they're not my. They, these weren't my clients per That's se. That's
0: fine. But yeah, just But I do for- think.
1: But but I've but I've I've been exposed to a few case studies of firms that. Because again, think about, like even in B two B sales, like the ability to touch base of hey, here's someone like that registered for this conference that did this on our website, that did this in a meeting, like the ability to connect all the dots that say, how, you know, is this person in market or not? Like, again, I would almost say when I was in B2B sales, the better I ask questions, the more data I get, I can have a competitive advantage. I would say that if you think about all the dots that can be connected in B2B sales from a listening perspective, right? A CDP can likely help you connect more dots together to say, wow, these guys are ready to buy, or these guys need to be nurtured in this way and so forth. And I, and I think the bigger challenge when you get this is <laughs> you may have a lot more segments and it's how do we create more content and how do we, you know, how do we actually right. engage in these different ways? Because, uh, like, you know, one thing I will say in CDPs is they also enable you to analyze your customers in deeper ways. And one thing we'll see is what I've seen again and again, our companies saying, you know what? When I'm, get, when I'm bringing all this data together, I'm realizing it's like the 80-20 rule. These 20% of my customers are more important than I even realize, sure. And you start engaging them in more meaningful ways. And, and, you know, you're not offering discounts to loyal customers that aren't buying on discounts, but they care more about different things. And so, you know, I think they're being used to engage your existing customers in better ways, not, not mm. just looking for sales, but at the same time, your ability to hone in on, boy, these guys are in market, they're out of market. How do we, you know, how do we close these guys? And so, um, again, if, if, if you're a large uh, B2B firm, again, I, I think you, what you want to do is map out how do our customers buy, what's their journey, how do we bring, how do we connect more dots to engage better? And again, you're still engaging via Pardot and all the, and all the great platforms. So those aren't going away. It's just how are these platforms sharing data so that they all work better together, right?
0: Interesting. Yeah, you know, I guess my challenge on this is that, you know, Pardot and Salesforce talk to each other already. Yes. And so it, what matters then is what are those endpoints, what are the data points that you could be gathering from other apps that aren't being brought into the fold? And exactly. I think you've mentioned the um, advertising, the online advertising retargeting, cookie pool yes. type things, anonymous visitors. People you don't even know, you want to start targeting. They haven't even ever hit your website, right? Yes. Cardot, you have to hit the website or be cookied in some way and click something. Otherwise, we don't know. So there's that, that whole part of the funnel before they get captured. That could, that could have some data that we're not necessarily capturing. And yeah. That's, that's kind of like the fuzzy land, the foggy land uh, that we're not really aware of. Um, so I could see that being brought into bear and then yeah. also maybe some of the physical in person type stuff.
1: Oh, there's in person stuff. There's contact center stuff. Like again, depending on a customer, okay, yeah. who they are, there's all like, if you were to just say, like, again, I think a lot of times we start with the technology and say, Hey, what can we do with the technology?
0: Totally, totally. Let's say we step
1: yep. back and say, we don't know about the technology. Let's map all the touch points that a customer has and what they're doing aside from technology and say, what should we bring together? And I'll I'll sort of give you an example. Like if you think about like the guys that founded a business like Uber, you know, they, you could have said, Hey, how do we automate ordering a taxi and you do one thing, but if you step back and say, you know what, let's start from scratch. Yeah. You know, what if, and they designed use cases, I would almost say the same thing. If you're stopping back from a B2B perspective and saying, Let's, let's put all our platforms aside for one second and, and, and just be people and say, what are all the way how do our customers buy today? How, you know, who do they talk to? Where do they go? You know, what's their process? And what are all the touch points? And, okay, so how do we listen better? And then how would we best engage with them? I think then you'd start saying, oh, wow, we can, we can do this or we can do this. And, and I think that's really, you know, what I would recommend starting as opposed, and then I think you start saying, oh, wow, a CDP can do this or in this and so forth. And here's what we can do without the CDP. And that's where I think customers will decide. And some customers, they say, you know what? Pardot alone is all I need. You right. may say, wow, if I have Perdot and this other things, my Pardot actually performs better because Pardot's getting data that it may not mm-hmm. have gotten before. And so I think that's the thing that, again, if we take the bias out of the platform for a moment,
0: good point. Yep.
1: you may say, wow, when I bring these platforms together, they actually do better. And, and to Salesforce's credit, that's why I think they've made a number of acquisitions through the years. Like they, they purchased Crux. You know, Crux was a, is a DMP. And they really? realized, you know, Crux with Salesforce is more powerful. And so I, I think the, the element really gets into, but I will say is start with the customer how do we listen better? How do we engage better? And then what what are the right tools we bring to make that happen? That is, is sort of the mindset as opposed to starting with the tools and, and going backwards. You know, and then, and then and I think if you use that approach, the tools typically will work better at the end, right? That's that because I don't want to discount. Right.
0: No, it's funny. You're actually feeding me back my own medicine. It's pretty cool. Uh, how many times do I bump into people that, you know, marketing automation or CRM. It's all about the feature, 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 feature. And then it's like, Hey man, what are you trying to do with that? First, you know, let's map out the strategy
1: process,
0: then the technology. Exactly. Uh, So that's a great reminder. I think, you you know, my lack of understanding, I'm like, Oh, I want to really get to know this technology. But to your point, it's that it's mapping out that journey. And then when you have gaps, so here's my new question. When I, when I've mapped this thing out and I've talked about what I want to do to the customer, what kind of gaps are best filled with something like a CDP?
1: Well, when you think about gaps, like, again, if...
0: Gaps or opportunities?
1: Yeah, so, again, like, as you mentioned before, um, like, if someone is doing something online that, like, with a, you know in an area that you're, you're not working in, or you're not, you don't have there, what, what can be connected, you know, what can be connected there? What meetings can be, you know, can be connected? I think the main thing here is, is, is that you want all of your data shared in pretty much in real time too, right? Like a lot of things connect data. It may be connected once a month. It may be this, but how do you also, how do you have these tools work together in real time? So for example, if let's say you think, let's say someone had you know, registered, they're an existing customer, you know who they are, and they go to a contact center and they make a phone call. And then you know they have a problem. There's an operator somewhere that knows they have a problem. Does that information get shared across the organization? How far? So your best customer calls up and does that? Is that shared across every other touch point? If someone registers for something, is it only within a certain silo or two? Or does it really, does it get to the contact center, right? So would the contact center person know? And again, how many times in life do we go to a website where we we're maybe frustrated so we then make a phone call and the phone, right. and on the phone call, the person saying, well, who are you? Okay, tell me again what your problem is. When in reality, there's probably a lot of clues that are out there that say, oh, wait, this, this, this is what's going on. And so oh, right. again, I would just say that when you think about every touch point, how do you share them in a way that? each other each touch point in near real time is engaging that customer the right way right and and I think that's where you know a lot of the tools that we are using today may be within one or two touch points but they're not all of all of the all of the touch points is that yeah make
0: sense? yeah no it makes more sense because as you mentioned I mean that was interesting about crux so Salesforce acquired crux a yep. digital management platform data management management platform platform. and now it's called Salesforce DMP. That's correct. So does that mean that Salesforce really is now becoming not just a CRM, but also a CDP?
1: Well, again, I would say that within Salesforce, let me this way. It's tough for me because there's lots of moving parts. I don't want to say it. it. It's, because I think even within Salesforce, integrating different tools is, is you know, it's a big challenge. But I think Salesforce is a leader and, and does a great job with all these things and right. they'll probably acquire more things in the, next, in the next couple of years. I do think there's a recognition, though, in making the acquisitions is that they look at great companies that say, wow, this is something that folks need. You know, a DMP is absolutely different than CRM. So we want to have both
0: have both. Think, yeah.
1: How do you connect the dots and how do you connect? Again, I think it's how do you connect the dots for listening mm-hmm. and analytics? And then how do you connect the dots for activation, which is right. like, oh, wow, I just heard this over here. So again, if, you, if someone's just doing retargeting and saying someone came to my site, let's start retargeting them with ads, but you're not engaging them in other ways. Um, that's a missed opportunity, right? right? As well as let's say, let's even go in a different way. So you know let's say i was looking to buy a car i mean again this isn't b2b i was looking to make a purchase let's say it was a major b2b purchase and then i go to the website and then they keep retargeting me as like a customer when i was like no i just bought your platform the company should know that i bought the platform but the data wasn't integrated the right way so i'm still being treated like a prospect right and you could be
0: wasting that ad spend or that that money yeah. on that yeah
1: as well as let's say there's different people within the organization let's say you know, a CMO comes to, or, and someone in sales comes, right. You may say, Oh wait, this is the way to engage this person. Right. So again, the ability to identify and understand here's, here's the organization the person's with, here's the role they're in. I know these things about them based on how they're engaged. What's the best way for me to meet their, meet their needs. Right. That's I think what we want to be able to do. So if you step back and say, yeah, you know, in the, in the purchase, you know, Here's customers that are buying and, you know, maybe the CFO is going to come to our site, right? The ability to right. say, here's who a customer is. How do I engage them more meaningfully? Same thing, you know, in terms of existing customers. How do I know who they are, share all, you know, connect the dots better and engage in real time or near real time.
0: Right. In a huh. Way. The, the big takeaway I get from this is we're just busting silos. You know, we're just busting out of those, those pathways. You might have data in different places, and great if you're not using it, you're you're basically wasting the opportunity, and, and you could be spending more than you need to, or you could be missing uh, you know a nice way to really engage or re-engage with someone. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Well, I think again, you want to understand who your customer is. The, the the smart, the better we listen, the smarter we get, the better we have an opportunity to serve our customers. And I think what you want to do is have the the right stack uh, technology wise and the right operations. Again, I think another. Challenge for a lot of companies isn't that when they'll say, "Hey, I bought this technology, we're good to go." And I, I think, as you know, it's it's not just it's not just having the right tools; it's what you do with it. And so you want the strategies that are, um, you know, you're building the right strategies, you're building the right use cases, and your team is working together in a way that you know delivers a great customer experience and hopefully have a customer for life.
0: Yeah. Speaking of customer for life and lifetimes. I'm curious who you are and how you cut this experience. It, you know, something that it's kind of cool. It's something that I was very much not familiar with until now. And yeah, so I mean, who are you? Where did you come from?
1: Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm I'm a native New Yorker. My parents were Irish immigrants. Grew up in the Bronx. And uh, uh, after business school, I worked in Amsterdam for Smith, Klein, Beacham, and came back. And I worked for a company called IRI for eight years and. That foundation was really based on listening to customers via retail uh, data. So we would we collect a lot of retail data to understand how customers purchase products. Then uh, I joined a digital agency or a company called Aquantive. Uh, our agency was Avenue A. Uh, we later acquired Razorfish and changed our name to Razorfish, and we were acquired by Microsoft. Uh, since then, I've held a number of roles, including... CEO of a company called Real Time Content, which was personalized video. That's now owned by Pitney Bowes. Uh, also, recently worked uh, as general manager for a uh, for an automated media buying platform that was at Yieldex, that was sold to AppNexus. I worked uh, huh. at AppNexus for a little bit. And what I was realizing, I guess my biggest thing is that there's three challenges that I think I I kept seeing from different organizations. One is needing to integrate data better. Two is being able to get predictive, not just looking at data and saying what happened, but what do, what do customers need next? And then three, how do we activate in near real time? Like, you know, it's tough enough just integrating data. But again, if you're thinking about a Facebook Uber type world, you know, (laughs) personalizing something based on data that's old, isn't really, isn't really going to cut it. And so uh, what I realized is I think there was a, a need and I was noticing a lot of services out there that are, you know, large, you know consulting firms that do a great job uh, like the McKinsey's of the world and the Baines. And there's a number of agencies that do it. Um, but those are pretty large, you know, solutions. And I just thought there was an op- a need in the marketplace for boutique shops that specialized in, in integrating and activating data. And so uh, basically it's, you know, bringing together 20 years of experience working with, you know, you know working with great clients across, you know, verticals and so forth and uh, And working with large agencies and so forth, but using tools and and as a boutique, we can you know offer the strategy, I think, in a in a way that's more cost effective than some of the larger solutions.
0: Right. Now what was fun cool about that description of your last twenty, thirty years yeah. is that there was an eight year period where you, and I know we talked about this earlier, you spent it just diving into customer data. Trying to understand it, trying to make sense out of it yeah. for almost a decade. I'm curious, do you have any takeaways? Did you learn anything that you, you kind of take with you to, you know, yeah. moving forward? And I mean, what well, does that do to you? You know, you well, probably no, to the library and looking at data.
1: Well, I'm, I'm a little bit older. And I, I think, the, you know, that the, in the early days, like when scanners came out for, for a lot of marketers, that was sort of the beginning of big data. You went from cash registers to these, these data that collected all, uh. that collected everything. And so what we did is we did a lot of collecting that data and doing a lot of modeling to understand customer decision trees. So what is the, you know, mm-hmm. you know, how do custom what are the customer segments that are out there? When they're purchasing, what is the process and what are the alternatives that they consider? Where does price fall into it? Where does merchandising fall into it? When does variety of product fall into it? And, you know, for me, I think it was just, it's great when you're working with lots of different categories and verticals to just analyze, you know, first of all, start with the customer, right? Because it's yeah. a, like we all say it, but you realize when you really put your head down and say, "Why well, I don't have the answers because if I use the bias of how I buy, <laughs> right. I can easily make a lot of mistakes. And I think the ability to just immerse yourself into the data to say, wait, here's all of our customers. And here's the pockets as well, because I think the thing about data mining in general is there's so much data out there that we can struggle using it, but the ability True. to hone in and say, here's our best customers, and here's how our best yeah. customers pay, yeah. and now how do we use this data to introduce new products, to, to make our existing products better, to make sure our products are in the right shelves, and, and so forth. And again, I think that applies to B2B as well, yep. um, but- but again, and we were doing all this before the internet really was taking off. And so I do feel that that was a, a great experience. The other thing I really do like is that today, when you think about 360, you know, there is offline and there is online. And sure. I think it's important that if you're only in one, if you're only, if you've, you know, come up through social or you came up through search or, or whatever area that you are, is that, you know, for me, it was a great experience to really understand what's happening offline as well and then complement that with another decade plus of of deep online uh, engagement.
0: Yes, a couple things I got from that. One, data, start with your best customers. Mm -hmm. You know, up your eyeballs in data, you can have too much data, it's all about taking action on that data. you, you, You started with who were the ones that, you know, have been spending the most, they're the best customers, so if you gotta start somewhere, start there. Yeah. And then, I also got a reminder from that, is that sometimes we can get all shy, Hide in our digital ivory towers and either not have phone calls with with our best buyer to find out how their process went, or those in person events. You know, I think back to you know going to Dreamforce and you know having some salads with uh, with one group, and then you know having some drinks with another. It, it's those kind of things that um, there's one particular person I have dinner with every time. You know, it's just yeah. and it's such a great time, and I feel like I have a that much more of a relationship with them. Um, just as a person, then, you know, so not forgetting the value that can come from those in-person events. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, how do we even calculate, for us, it was even an afterthought for how are we going to track all this. And even, even then, even just tagging them with a campaign to say that, yes, you met at Salesforce doesn't quite necessarily loop that in. So it does seem like there's a little bit of that, you know, the barn door swung way digital. And we forgot a little bit about the power that can happen from just, you know, breaking bread with someone.
1: That's right. And I would almost say, again, if you obsess with saying, you know, I really care about my customers and I want to know what's important to them and how they buy. You may even say, based on digital, here's what we know about the journey. And right. then you may say, what do I do, what do I not know? And then when you meet them in person, you may say, hey, by the way, and you're asking questions that's complementary of what you know from digital and filling yeah. in gaps and saying, you know what? That's why they do this. You know, right. this- this is their decision criteria. And so again, if you're almost thinking of every engagement is to learn more about how they buy and what they're, what's important to them, and you connect the dots of online and offline, you have a better chance of engaging them better, right?
0: Right. You know, tell me about decision trees. It sounds well, like that was something that was big in, into that process and understanding the buyers. And I haven't really been exposed to that.
1: Yeah, well I, I think about a decision tree as is, is easy as, okay, so when you're when you have a problem, think about what are your alternatives to to solving that problem sure. at the very beginning, right? And so it may mean like I mean you can think about it as, you know, do you buy a car? Do you lease a car? Do you, do you not need a car and you're going to use public transportation or whatever? Then, right. Or you then just keep
0: driving your little bucket of bolts. So,
1: so there's the solving of the problem. Then it's what do I consider? And I think to me, the decision tree, it's almost sort of like a journey. But many times you would all say, what are the alternatives that I consider? And what are the trigger points that make me say, oh, I'm going to go here. So when you think about a decision tree, it's almost like, it's, it almost looks like a bracket for like an NCAA tournament where you're saying, oh, yeah. you're here, and you're going here, and you're going down this path. And the smart, the more you know, and so at what point does price become a consideration, right? Is it right. early in the journey where you're saying, look, my budget is X, so I'm not gonna consider something else, or is it a last minute thing, right? And so, and then what are the alternatives? if If my top choice is unavailable, what's my second choice, right? And so yeah. I think when we think about our own lives, Uh, you could probably think about a major purchase and say, what's the path we go on and when we make which decision? And for us, that started with using, like, again, rich data. How do you use rich data to connect all the dots, all the data you have together? And then how do you map out that journey, that decision tree? And with all that knowledge, then how do you how do you give your customers what they want, as well as qualify so that you don't waste time? Right. On customers that you know what you're not in their consideration set, so you're you're use, you're waste, you're you're expending a lot of resources that are better used elsewhere.
0: Now, did you create these decision trees, or just or like discover and research them purely using data? Did you talk to some customer sets as well, or how did yeah. how did you? Well, do I, that?
1: No, that's an excellent question. I mean, I do think that in life, like to me, there's Quanti- like I would almost say there's quantitative data, which may be rich data. And then there's qualitative, which may mean, hey, I, I went to 20 dinners or lunches and based on that, this is what I learned. So I think it's yeah. fair to say that they're all based on information and the richer the information, the better off you are. So if you basically say, look, I met with one customer and I heard this once, you could you could use that, but it's based on a sample of one. Right. Um, but I do think that, like, I don't think that anyone should be married to just database data. Um, because you may be missing things. I think supplementing it with with qualitative data makes sense. I think the thing is that's most important is that you're really just understanding what your customer is doing. And that's where I, again, start with the customer. Um, don't think of data as more important than the customer. Just think of if you have more data and more examples it's, it's, it's great. There's like, again, I would say if you speak to 20 customers and 18 of them tell you one, the same thing, (laughs) I have, I typically have more confidence than if I spoke to one customer because maybe they're, they're an outlier, right? So that's the way I I, I try to try to think about it. I like
0: that. You're balancing both. You know, you've spoke to those 18 customers. Let's go look at the data, see, are they similar? Are they similar profiles do they have the same industries or is this across the whole system or did i accidentally cherry pick 18 of a particular sub segment who all said this so it's maybe not the whole decision tree for everyone it's just for that smaller group
1: and then it's how many segments i think you're exactly right and i think then again the richer the data you may have as well if let's say I had one client and they're in one vertical and my client is only in one department that then I know this, but if you, if you're in a business that works across verticals and you engage with people across departments, that alone tells you, you know, you don't only have one customer, you know, you have many different types of audiences. So right. again, the richer the information you have, the better off that you're able to understand a, a specific person you're engaged with and, right. and engage them in the most meaningful way.
0: Huh. i like it yeah. i like it now one of the things we, i mean it's funny how like we're talking about what's important to us and we 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 go right away from our like our lives right back into this because it's just stuff we love talking about yeah. um and you know one of the things we were chatting about earlier is that you know you've got some passions college football you've got yeah. family and then you shared with me that you had <coughs> gone to the infamous tennis game you know what well, which yeah. one was that? That was the final. It was
1: the women's finals of the U.S. Open. Um, right. Yeah, you so know we were there because
0: there was a certain thing that happened. There. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what? I had uh, my my daughters have. I have two daughters, and they uh, they've gotten into tennis, and uh, they had they had an interest in the U.S. Open. So I said, yeah, let's uh, let's go. And it was their first sporting event that they, or my, my youngest youngest's first sporting event that she had attended. And we went to the the final of the U.S. Uh, the women's U.S. Open where. Um, it was a great match and, uh, Serena was, uh, playing Naomi for, for the women's championship. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, there was a dispute between, uh, Serena and the umpire, which, uh, cost her a key game in the second set. And, right. uh, and so it was kind of a controversial ending. It was, uh, it was, it was quite a scene uh, different than anything else I'd experienced in sports.
0: Right. And so my exposure to this was watching YouTube, uh, um, a bunch of clips of what happened. Yeah, And and I, yeah, I guess for everyone, so what, what ended up happening was uh, she got a, a warning for being coached. That's and correct. I'm, I'm not as into tennis, so correct me if yeah. I'm wrong. Got a warning for being coached. You're not allowed to be coached by your coach while you're playing. And yeah, a, he was. I
1: think giving hand signals from about a hundred, you know, hundred yards away is, is right. I, My understanding. Of right,
0: right. Experience. Now, um, on being warned for that, you know, hey, don't 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 get coached. Serena got really upset and was saying, like, "Look, I'm really honest. Don't accuse me of cheating." Now, yes. what was crazy on the YouTube video is it it cuts right to her coach, who they talked to after. It was like, "Yeah, I was coaching her. Yeah, everyone does it." Right. Yeah. I was like, "What." Serena, you, you were getting coached. But anyway, so yeah. she got really upset over that warning. Yes. So that, what did she do? She
1: well, smashed I her tennis on, racket, I think, I right? mean, I do think, because again, I think things happen over. My understanding of it was she, she, she had the, the warning. And then later she was frustrated. And I believe, aside from that, smashed the racket. Right. And, and I think there was a penalization of a point. And, and I think that she had realized, I think, the other the original warning my understanding was it was sort of a formal warning and i think he had just i don't think she thought that that counted as as this thing so uh when she lost the point i think she really got upset and then um
0: now what did you see right cuz cuz
1: well, that was kind of,
0: I no, saw more just on YouTube, but you uh, all, what? also the score just changes yeah. and you're like, what? well,
1: I'll tell you what happened. It was kind of interesting because I've been to lots of sporting events through the years. And if you're at, let's say, a football game, if holding is called, you know, holding is called in baseball. If an error is called, you know it. Well, the thing in, in the stands at the U.S. Open, they didn't announce what happened. And you couldn't hear from the stands from where we were sitting what was occurred. So at one point, at one point, you just saw her penalize the point right and naomi had won the first set but everyone's rooting for serena to help hey go usa right yeah totally yeah absolutely and uh so anyway then you saw serena kind of in a bit of an argument but you don't hear what's going on right at that point the second set was uh four three it was four three naomi and all of a sudden they gave her a whole game it went to five three and it was like we had no idea what happened you didn't know first of all we didn't know
0: so it's not like football with a, like uh, a penalty on, you know, like Patriots yes. or and, New York and Jets. I think,
1: you know, and the other issue is you're at a championship, and pretty much when it went to five three, the odds of the match it pretty much felt like it was over. So can you imagine if wow. you're, in, you're watching a Super Bowl and all of a sudden they award a team a touchdown when they're or let's say someone was up by six and you say, hey, we're giving them a field goal, and you're like. Boy, they're they're not coming back from nine. So we're yeah. sort of at this great match, and based on the score, the it almost settled what was likely going to happen. It was going to be a long shot for Serena to then have to come back. So I think there was some dissatisfaction, and I think the crowd was actually criticized for booing. and And I think the sense I'd want to say is I don't. Naomi played fantastic. She's a worthy champion, and I think everyone. I never saw anyone boo her. I do right. think a little bit of frustration of <laughs> we're at this great event and uh boy you just you just you almost it was sort of like a, a, an umpire's decision in many ways decided that and that doesn't excuse so, Serena's behavior but right. you know, I just think in the crowd we didn't know what was going on.
0: Yeah, you know, like refs in football you hate to like be the one that you know this penalty means the whole game is over. But, but and I guess to follow up with, you know, everyone telling the story cause we're kind of jumping around, but so she had a warning for getting coached, which she was cause her coach said she was coaching her. He was coaching yes. her. And then she was mad and really is losing her temper, which apparently she's done a lot before. Yeah. And a lot of tennis players do. A lot um, of tennis players do. Uh, so she smashed her racket and that's a racket violation. So she lost a point. And so the score went from like zero 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 to like, like 15, 15 zero. right? Yep. So she lost like a point there. Yeah. And then after that, her temper just went, so, you know, bazinga. And then she was really starting to yell at the ref and like, and, and tell him that he was, you know, incorrect, but also be like, you're a thief. And like, she a wouldn't thief. let it go. It's like, we've all been yeah. there where you just don't let, don't let something go and you should, you know, it's like the email you shouldn't send. So she yep. sent the email. She kept sending it to this guy. <laughs> And yeah. then it's like, okay, in the third violation, what happens is you lose a whole game, right? It's yes. Game and you lose it's, a whole
1: game, and that was pretty – it was a critical uh, game.
0: In the final, in the U.S. final, you lost the whole yeah. game because you couldn't shut your mouth. And so, you know, I know there's a lot of color afterward, you know, about, you know, women's rights and all sorts of things. But if you just separate all that out from it, it was, you know, she – she got mouthy and she got points taken away. And I think some of the criticism yeah. is, you know, other people get mouthy and they don't lose this stuff. But to your point, there was already some warnings happening. Everyone gets a yep. warning. So some people smash their racket and that's the first thing they've done. So it's like, yeah, this is your warning. Don't be a crazy man. But exactly. was crazy is you, you mentioned that, you know, the booing and I was like, wonder about that too. I was like, Oh man, these people are crazy. But I realize now after talking to you, I would have probably booed because I'm like USA hardcore. So yeah. if I just, you know, my team's now suddenly got a point down, like what the heck, you know, yeah. or lost the game, we're going to lose this thing. And he probably spent hundreds of thousands of who knows how many dollars on this thing. And it's like yeah. going to be over soon. i would be like, boo, what's going on? You know? Yeah.
1: Well, you know what? It's kind of an interesting thing to learn from because again, and especially when you're with your daughters, you want to make sure that you're, you know, teaching them the right way. And
0: hundred percent'
1: qualified to say how it should have been handled. But the next day I saw John McEnroe and Chris Everett talking about it. And they said, well, in other sports, and I could relate to this, they said they believe that given the, that who we're dealing with and the stage, that the referee probably could have said, Serena, when she was having, you know, called him a thief, Serena, um, I hear you, but that's enough. If it happens again, you're going to get the third penalty, which is a game. Hmm. And then if she continued – it would have been okay but he mm. that never he didn't give her that warning he just he he took the game and and again some people may argue with it but that was sort of john McEnroe and chris everett's position and i thought that made sense because again it didn't just hurt her poor naomi just won her first grand slam finals. i know she got, got that great. yeah and it, and it it almost created a situation that was tough and so again i think there's a lesson for everyone i mean again yeah i think that you know it was even Telling my daughters, you know, look, yeah, what did you great, tell them? Serena Williams has to deal with adversity, but even when you're the umpire, I think understanding the time and place, you can probably we can all probably learn something about the best way to handle these things,
0: yeah, yeah, you interesting. Know? So, what did you tell them? Just you know, make sure you work hard. What do you, what do you tell your daughters at that? Because I have a daughter too, yeah, you
1: know. well, that's an interesting thing. I said, well, you know what? I mean, first of all, there's the Listen to the umpire, you know, and and in real life, there's going to be adversity and you're not going to get all the calls and listen to the umpire is one of them. The other thing is I did say, um, you know what, uh, this was still Naomi's moment and we were there and I said, why why don't we write her a letter and just say congratulations
0: on winning
1: the championship and that we were there and we wish her a great thing because again, you know, we don't control everything that occurred, but you know, here's this person that just had, you know, worked hard her whole life. Right. and the experience was a little bit less than it could have been, and yeah. so if we, can, if we can do some some small gesture that helps make it cool for her, I think that would be good so uh, that, oh, those are really cool, cool things. Listen to the umpire and uh, and still let's let 's control what we control and and, and let 's you know
0: yeah, right, right. but write a letter like it 's almost like you, you 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 kind of turned it around on it you know kind of this whole negative thing, and it 's like let 's Let's congratulate the champion, you know. Let's.
1: Absolutely. And let me this way. To be clear, Naomi was playing better that day. And But, again, was in she, sports, things okay. can turn around. Well, she won the first set pretty clearly. Okay. second set, you know, Serena had broke her serve, but then she came back and broke Serena. So they were sort of a little bit more even in the second set. But Naomi had been playing better. And, uh, you know, she was a worthy champion, mm. everything else aside. And, and so, uh, you know, that's – that shouldn't be lost in all in everything that occurred.
0: Good point. Good point. Especially if she's earning it, if she, you know, if she had played horribly and this was just like this miscarriage of justice, yeah. it would have been, but you know, the fact that she she worked hard and, you know.
1: She had a great tournament and she was the better player that day. And, and at right. the same time, we, we wish we wish it played out with that the way it didn't, but she, she was a worthy Agreed.
0: Gym. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, if you're going to lose, lose to someone that's uh, humble and cool about it like that. That's cool. Absolutely. You'll have to let me know if she, they get a response.
1: I'm just, yeah, well. Lots well, of fan yeah. mail. Yeah. Yeah, cool.
0: Awesome, man. Well, hey, where can people connect with you? What's a good, you know, um, what's a good avenue for that?
1: Yeah, well, again, we have a, a website. YouTube. Yeah. Uh, refinedpath.com, And that has okay. all our contact information. Uh, we could get followed on Twitter. I think it's Tom a Quinn at refined path uh, on Twitter and, uh, yeah, happy to, you know, help. And again, my, my sense is if anyone has any questions in these areas, happy to provide any, uh, any guidance I can and, and be as helpful as I can.
0: Awesome. it's the way to do it. Cool, man. I don't know if you looked at the clock but time has yeah. flown by. Cool. So I appreciate you coming and joining here and teach me a little bit about data and getting out of the silo and being customer centric. This is in decision trees. I've got I've got two pages of notes here.
1: Well, thanks it. a lot. I've learned a lot from your previous episodes. And, and so again, big fan of the show. And thanks so much for having me on.
0: Awesome. And for everyone else out there, if you learned something on the show, and you should have because I did. I know everything. Uh, But if you learn something on this show, share it with someone, you know, Uh, Facebook, Twitter, just throw a link out there, get it in someone else's hands so you can, you know, keep the love moving around. And, uh, you know, thanks. You know, thanks to you, Tom, for joining. And uh, for everyone else out there, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. (laughs) We'll catch you all next time.